0: Welcome to Movies Charles Scene, episode 52. My name is Crossman.
1: I'm Wilson. And I'm
0: Charles. And this week we're discussing the top five movies of 2017 we saw and the one worst movie of 2017 we saw. Uh, and we're going to start with Charles okay. with his number five movie of 2017. Yes. Yeah, so,
1: so our plan is we all do five, all do four, uh, but then after two we'll do our worst movie and then our our favorite yeah. of the year yeah all right and this is just so everybody knows the object my list anyway is the ob- actual objective list of the five best movies <laughs> these guys are objective. mine is objectively correct so uh charles go ahead uh, <laughs> we'll take that list. as fact yeah. okay yeah
2: all right so uh my fifth favorite movie of 2017 was the disaster artist it was uh, a great movie yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, I'm a fan of The Room. Uh, I haven't seen The Room live or anything like that, but I've seen The Room and I thought it was, you know, a great experience. Uh, I really liked that movie. Uh, so it was nice to see this pseudo behind the scenes sort of biopic uh, about uh, the, the people behind the movie. Um, I thought it was very funny. Um, one of the funnier movies I've seen in the last few years, I think. Um, that I remember at least. And um, James Franco has an amazing performance um, playing Tommy Wiseau. He he doesn't seem like James Franco playing as Tommy Wiseau. He just seems like Tommy Wiseau on screen. Uh, and, like, you know, they do the makeup and stuff to really sell it. Um, yeah, all in all, I enjoyed it a ton. I know the other two of you have seen it as well. Yeah,
1: I, I liked it a lot. Um, it reminded me of Breaks Me Barrel a lot, which is a movie that almost made my top five and might on a different day. Um, I feel like it is so much about the what, what drives creativity right mm-hmm. and how like there is value in simply creating even if it's not good which kind of remind me of uh boogie nights which we yeah had talked about on an earlier episode um and i think there's just the the power of the coming together and making something and how that brings people together even if you're it's not about you know winning awards or making a ton of money or, or anything like that like it's it, it has this like, very wholesome heart to this movie. Yeah,
2: yeah, I remember that as well. There's this very scrappy feel to it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny because Tommy Wiseau just, like, had infinite money somehow, but it's all these, like, random (laughs) kind of outcasts and from hollywood that couldn't like hit it big just kind of getting together and trying to make do with what they have yeah and
1: it's it kind of it's also this immigrant story right because it's this guy that's like out of place and is coming here as a foreigner and like infatuated with america and american ideas and like trying to find his space within a foreign land i don't know how would you feel about uh disaster artists
0: yeah i like i liked it a lot i thought it was super funny um has the cast of my favorite podcast in it. Second favorite. Isn't this your favorite podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, how did this get made? All, all three hosts are in it. Paul really? Paul I didn't she know all three the, of them were. The Paul cast Shear, is amazing. Jason Manzoukas yeah. and Juna and Raphael are all Oh, yeah. Room. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, Paul Sheer plays like, a major part. All the
2: film. greatest, or not greatest, but a lot of great comedy people. Well, it's like, yeah, all yeah, it's James Franko, all all, all James Franco's buddies. <laughs> yeah, but like, like it's a really good like comedy troupe. Yeah.
1: yeah, and for me, out of those, like, smaller roles, like, Seth Rogen really stole the show. Like, yeah. just, like, as the straight man that's, like, <laughs> along for the ride with this weird dude and, like, constantly baffled by
0: what he's doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, that, I loved his role there.
0: Yeah, I liked it. I think it would have been easy to make the movie just, like, a joke about how goofy right. Tommy Wiseau is. But yeah. it's, he's actually, like, he kind does. sympathetic. He is sympathetic. He does some bad things. Um... Yeah, in the film they but make he's also a monster also, but
2: also sympathetic at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it's
0: it's an interesting portrayal. Yeah. That's why the Dave Franco character I think is so important like yeah. to have the,
1: the this way in like he's a normal guy that's like experiencing Tommy Wiseau as the audience does. Yeah, it's not like
0: yeah. a Cousin Balky kind of character. You're right. Um from uh Perfect Strangers. Yeah. I don't, know I, don't that, know, I don't know that. It's a show. Say. It's a 90s show where this guy's like weird cousin comes from like <laughs> Eastern Europe uh-huh. and it's just like He's so weird and doesn't know how things work in America. Yeah. And like, I see. They, or like coming to America, like that, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's not that, right? Like
1: it, it has a little bit more, it cares about this guy more than yeah. that. Which, yeah. Which I think is nice.
0: Cool.
1: Um, okay. Uh, my number five um, was a movie I mentioned earlier on the podcast, uh, The Florida Project. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out a few months ago, uh, kind of an award season. A show with a, a second movie from a small-time director. It is really a slice-of-life story more than anything else um, it concentrates mostly on a Single parent and her young daughter um, The young daughter played by uh, her name is Brooklyn oh, I'm gonna forget but it was her first performance ever. She's like literally six years old oh, wow and kills it Just like she feels like this young kid just living life That's kind of not quite oblivious to the poverty that she's living in because her her and her mom are growing up in a uh, a week-to-week motel style apartment complex um, but also like not dragged down by it. Um, so it presents the, the experience of living in poverty as something that's bad but also something that isn't in that doesn't render your life totally awful all the time. Yeah. Um, which I think is really challenging to do and really challenging to do well. Um, it helps that it's shot in these really bright Florida-like colors. Um, it's sunshine all the time. Um, the There's a hotel manager character played by Willem Dafoe who gives this really excellent humanist performance um, that grounds the movie and it gives you a way to empathize with these characters who do do some pretty awful things especially the mother. Um, it, was, it was an excellent film it just it feels it feels so lived and so authentic like he actually just stuck a camera inside a, a Hotel somewhere where all these poor people live and just film what happened mm-hmm. um, and one of the most uh, Gorgeous and interesting endings that I've seen all year. A really mm-hmm.
0: r- really a beautiful movie um, I don't have either of you seen photo project. I didn't get around to it. I tried but it was in and out of theaters really fast and Yeah, it, it, unfortunately it just like disappeared. It yeah like a couple weeks and that was it
1: Yeah, I think I saw it on opening weekend anticipating that <laughs> um, yeah. but it yeah it, it was I think it's available on streaming now so you can you can go and get it on Amazon or something um, but it, it's a pretty quick movie, it works well, um, and yeah, I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, cool. What was number five for you, Crossman?
0: Um, I really liked the movie Coco, Me which is uh, Pixar's end-of-year effort. Um,
2: yeah, I'm sad I didn't get around to seeing that one. I wanted it's, to. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah it's it's gorgeous It's one of the yeah it's one of the prettiest films they've ever made um pixar continues to have a string of like incredible hit, hit films after hit, after hit. only the car series is bad and <laughs> um the dinosaur movie which I heard is brave unfortunate was
2: kind of average no nah, brave is great uh, <laughs> okay Excellent. People, people seem mixed on that one. Brave,
0: if anything is just like gorgeous to watch sure. so even if like you don't find the story that interesting it's it's really good. It's, that was the girl from
1: Boardwalk Empire did the voice for that, right?
0: For Brave? Yeah. Uh, I think so. I'm yeah, not I sure. So yeah, I want yeah. to see her in more things. He's, he's, like, he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's their like, How to Train Your Dragon competitor. Right. <laughs> right. Which is um, also good. Coco. Okay. So Coco is interesting. Um, it, it has an entirely Hispanic cast, which is um, pretty rare. Um, oh, cool. l- sections of the film are also or throughout the film there's there's a lot of like spanish words kind of thrown into the dialogue and like in context you even if you don't speak spanish you should generally get what they mean Mm -hmm. there are some that they kind of throw out there to like as jokes just if you speak spanish Mm -hmm. um like i think there's a moment where they like call a character or they like refer to him as like fat or something in (laughs) spanish and you wouldn't get that unless like you knew the the spanish for it um so I I think that's like pretty interesting. I think it's rare for like a mainstream film to do that. Sure. Like I can't. Maybe the Godfather like throws in some Italian stuff, but well, even Godfather that, Two, yeah, um, th- yeah. Cause well, I,
2: I've seen the first one. There's still sections where it was just Italian.
1: Right you know. there, there's a lot because um, Godfather Two, uh, the De Niro was the first actor to win a Best Acting Award
0: for. A, mostly non-English role mm. yeah but yeah. but this wasn't in there weren't sections that were like only in Spanish they would just like throw Spanish words into yeah. the dialogue and so it's this code switching thing. yeah yeah which feels yeah to me it feels authentic I
1: don't speak Spanish I didn't grow up around Spanish speaking people yeah um but it rings true and what I've heard is that it's an accurate representation of a bilingual speech
0: yeah it's Spanglish right yes yeah. that's what it is um and Yeah, it's a very, like, cute story about, like, family, and um, they go to the Land of the Dead, which is, like, allows for, like, all these very fantastical elements, and that's when the film, like, really becomes, like, gorgeous, because the Land of the Dead is, like, all these neon colors and neon characters. That
1: that shot when he gets off the bridge, like, to the Land of the Dead, and you see the entire city... Yeah. And it's just, it looks like it's just lit up with neon lights the whole time, but like not gaudy. It's just mm-hmm. huge and complex and rich. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there's a complexity to the storytelling too, where it's not like, here's good characters and here's a bad <laughs> character. And like the bad characters after the good characters, there's there's yeah. like a, a lot more like intertwining elements to it. And yeah, and they, they move the, the like, audience sympathies around. Yeah, changes yeah. that you don't expect. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's hard to say without spoiling it. Um um, there's also uh great like animal comedy characters too there's the there's, dog. there's a Mexican hairless dog yeah uh, and it's super funny yeah um, Okay, I feel like those can get annoying sometimes so that's good no of, no they yeah. do, they do a good job of like having the dog like be the a lot of the source of the humor okay um yeah. well they, they create... temper the use of the dog yeah I
1: mean I remember one of the
0: things there's a lot of stuff I like about that movie but the the yeah. use of of um, the use of music because it's really a movie yeah. about music. really, really good music um, in the film, and and Lots of specifically Mexican guitar-driven mm-hmm. music.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that was that was incredible to me. The other thing, it, just in terms of uh, Pixar's nuts and bolts storytelling skills like that's a complicated world that they're setting up yeah and they explain it to children in a very clear way that is necessary for the story that doesn't feel stilted Mm -hmm. and like when you watch it 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 doesn't feel like oh they're pulling off something amazing here but when you reflect on it after watching the movie you're like holy shit they explain like this entire different mythology in 10 minutes i
0: think that's the genius of like pixar's storytelling is that they're able to get away with like really complex or they're not afraid of telling complex stories to right. kids. Right. Because, yeah, they know how to. And the worlds that they set up are, are in general, very complex. Like <coughs> Toy Story, there's yeah. a lot going on, a lot of characters. Um, Finding Nemo, too, is, like, yeah. there's really, these, really complicated. All these rules. Yeah. <laughs> so many rules in, yeah.
1: in these things. And it probably is even more complex than those. Like there are Like, they have mm. to have the picture in a certain spot, and they have to get they can be in this world for a certain amount of time and then something happens and after that they are wait to rescue people and it's like yeah, it's
0: there, yeah there's like a back to the future element too, yeah, it where yeah. he's like he's <laughs> yeah. disappearing and like oh, no. he needs to like get home yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, there's just a lot yeah a lot going on there. it it
1: was a great movie i thought it was gorgeous yeah yeah and 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 it appeals to adults
0: too in a in a way that good kids movies do um yeah, and, yeah i always try and see pixar films in theaters right. but i think they're a good choice. Some of the best storytelling is happening Maybe. in animation. I've said this before on the podcast. Yeah, and I mean, Pixar really leads. That. Yeah, you're, you're not Pixar wrong. and like a
2: yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. Um, all right, fellas, what's uh what's number four for you? Uh, my number four was Lady Bird. Yeah, um, I feel like it's not the kind of movie that I normally would go out and see, but there was a lot of hype around it. Uh, a lot of like excited people on Facebook talking about how great it was. Uh, they were talking about how it's like the highest reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I'm like, all right, uh, I'll go check this one out.
0: Paddington 2 might be there. <laughs>
2: Paddington, Paddington one really is good.
0: Paddington 2 is currently 64 for 64 positive <laughs> reviews. <laughs> yeah. There'll be some asshole that comes along and like oh boy. gets it a negative review. Oh, Paddington well, 1 I, I, was... I looked
2: up Lady Bird and it's got one negative right. review. And if you actually read the review, it's not that bad.
0: Yeah. Paddington 1 had three negative reviews out of 145 or something. So yeah, It was a good movie. Oh, it's,
2: wow. I did not... It was sure apparently a very good all. movie. It's yeah. about immigration.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, why do you like Lady I love Lady Bird. Loved Lady Bird but what did you like? Yeah,
2: about well, I just thought it was so like well-written and performed. Um, I just felt... Like I was really getting into the characters and like Lady Bird's struggles mm-hmm. um, and just her general like high school life. Um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's about um, like a girl who's in high school and she's kind of struggling with her identity and what she wants to be and what she wants with the future. And she's trying to get into a college in New York so that she can leave her boring Sacramento life. Um, but she has some conflict with her mother and with her friends and all that while she's trying to figure all this out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just felt like I was really empathetic toward the characters. Uh, I read a good comment online that said that they could empathize, but not relate, um, Mm -hmm. which are different things because like, I didn't have her same struggle of figuring out your identity and trying to leave, um, your life. Like I like my life for the most part. (laughs) I did, I did have a similar situation where I grew up in California and moved to New York for college. Um, but it's not like I grew up saying, I want to go to the East coast. I actually wanted to go to Stanford. Uh, when I was applying for college. I place. wanted to stay nearby because I was a scaredy cat and I didn't want to leave home. <laughs> uh, but then I got into a good school in New York, so I'm like, all right, it's the best school I got into, let's go, right, and it all worked out. So I, I didn't relate to her struggles, per se, but I could very much empathize with them, um, and I just really got pulled into everything that was on screen. I was very emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, did you see Lady Bird Uh, No, I have the other answer.
1: You should. Um, To me, I I did connect with it in some ways insofar as it's a movie that's very much about the complex relationship that you have with where you're from. Yeah. Um, Because she's from Sacramento, and she she views Sacramento as a small town where nothing's happening. I don't know if that's true. I've never been to Sacramento. Um, And I don't think it's actually that small. But... Mm -hmm. I think that that's been a running theme through a lot of movies that came out this year and it's certainly very central to Lady Bird and yeah. that it's not just about this girl who hates her hometown and wants to get out as soon as possible. It's that she thinks she hates her hometown but actually has a lot of affection for it and mm-hmm. like doesn't realize that until she leaves. Yeah. And she knows she still needs to leave and that she can't stay there anymore but she also knows that so much of her and her past and who she is is in this place. That she doesn't appreciate until she's gone, yeah. And like there, there is something very true uh, to my own experience, and I'm sure to many people' experience who who leave their hometown for extended periods. It, in this movie, and like to me, that that was one of the most touching parts of, like, of Lady Bird.
0: Coco kind of played with that, sure. Like, yeah, he's sort of feels trapped in his family and, and hometown, and right not until he leaves as so he does he recognize answer. the value of it. Yeah, they, and,
1: but yeah, but then he comes back, right? Yeah. Or as, as Lady Bird, I think that the, the complexity comes from the idea that she knows she can't really go back. Mm-hmm. And that with that, she, she needs to be somewhere else even if she now finally understands that where she was, was good and valuable. Um, also one of the most complex representations of a mother-daughter relationship that we've seen in film yeah. in recent years, or maybe just outright. Um, it was powerful and affecting and
2: mean, but also very <laughs> endearing. Um, like, it was funny that they had this huge argument uh, while they're shopping for dresses. Yeah, and she's she's saying like, "Oh, you're you're being really passive aggressive, mom. I really hate when you do that." And then suddenly the the mom like picks out the perfect dress. And, <laughs> right. Like, they're like, "Oh, it's perfect." And yeah. like, <laughs> just like drop right, like completely <laughs> switch over to buying the dress. Yeah. Uh, it was adorable. Yeah, I and
1: mean, that's the other thing. This is a really funny movie. Yeah, it's a really yeah, funny. It was hilarious. Movie. Yeah, uh, which I was is... cracking
2: up a lot. And like, I don't know, a lot of the humor just felt very close to my sense of humor yeah well and it's well. not it, it doesn't
1: feel stilted right like it's it, it's a style of humor that just feels like it's coming from these characters not from a line yes right um and i think that's really tough to pull off uh this is also a movie another a theme that i think we see running throughout 2017 first time directors making great films greta gerwig had not directed anything before this and that she's was. pretty young yeah, yeah. Like, uh, she acted in several things She paired up with Noah Baumbach on multiple excellent movies. Mm -hmm. um, My favorite of which is Mistress America. Frances Ha is also really good. Mm -hmm. Um, But this was her first time directing a movie, and it doesn't look like it. It does not look like a first-time directorial um, effort. And uh, credit to her. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that that blew me away as well. Um, Speaking of dresses and Greta Gerwig, apparently during the prom scene, um, she showed up on the shoot that day in a prom dress (laughs) to (laughs) to shoot the scene. And there's pictures of it. For For solidarity. Yeah, floating around the internet. Um, but yeah, I love Ladybird. I think that's a great pick. Um, another one that almost made my list on mm-hmm. a different day. Um, my number four uh, was a drastically different movie. Uh, I saw and loved um, A Ghost Story, um, which is a movie I'm sure both of you would hate, but I loved it. <laughs> um, it I'm not sure
2: if I heard of it. It's um,
1: Casey Affleck. It's Casey Affleck, um, but don't let that deter you because he spends most of the movie in a head-to-toe sheet with holes in the eyes. sort <laughs> The like daf- a ghost. His Daft Punk performance, essentially. He, right. Um, he has <laughs> maybe fewer than five lines. Um, the premise of the story is that Casey Affleck and Mara Rooney are living in a rather ramshackle small house. They're a young couple. Within the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film, Casey Affleck dies in a, in a freak car crash. That's it. The rest of the movie is, has, very, has no dialogue from Casey Affleck, very little dialogue from other people. He is essentially haunting this tiny house, in the f- head to toe sheet <laughs> with the eyes <laughs> in it, like a ghost, um, and uh, seeing who moves in and moves out. Eventually, the Marooni character leaves. Other people move in. Those people leave. So it it sounds something like a horror story from a ghost perspective. It's not exactly that. It's m- much more complex. Um, it has to do with the with the grieving process and moving on and your attachment to specific places and where that attachment comes from. And eventually it becomes this story where he is staying in this place well past the time the building is destroyed, well past the time the earth is destroyed, well past the time the universe reinvents itself and he has to go all the way around back to the literally the to where he died oh, that's to, insane yeah it is it's an insane movie and he has to experience literally the entirety of time and, and ex- existence in order to understand how he fits into it and when that happens is when he actually finally dies and disappears huh. Um, does, does that I, mean that
2: happens to everyone who dies in, in that movie universe?
1: It, it suggests it. There's, there are, there's <laughs> evidence in the movie to suggest that that is what's going on. Um, and it's, I, I've never seen anything like it. It wasn't a, a, a quite literally unforgettable experience. Um, don't go into it thinking it's a horror story because it's not really that. Um, do go into it expecting some kind of existential awe because it does do that. Um, I, I, I like Existential Awe. You, seriously, then watch it. You, you might really like it. Um, it. It It is unreal. Um, so yeah, I strongly recommend A Ghost Story. Um, despite Casey Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, what was number four for you, Crossman?
0: Uh, Number four for me was Get Out.
1: Oh, really? I had this as, I thought this was going to be your number one. I tried to predict what (laughs) each of them were going to pick as number one. Not my
0: number one. I considered it. really, really liked Get Out. Um, It's uh, If you haven't seen it, it's a horror comedy film about a uh, a young man who's black, who has a white girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and he goes to meet her parents who live in a very upscale neighborhood um in connecticut in connecticut i think connecticut? It would be yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is perfect gotta <laughs> it, be it's connecticut or it's like a new york suburb yeah like. yeah one of those um and uh it, it turns out that they are uh capturing black men and using their their bodies uh to um this is kind of like spoiling This itself. is the, yeah, like but, the like a twist.
2: twist. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Yeah. There seen, is, and I think we can I'm talk about it. I'm a little afraid to see it because I know yeah. it's a horror movie, so yeah. I haven't really... I think we can
1: talk about it without discussing, okay. necessarily discussing the twist explicitly. Yeah. Uh, and it is yeah. excellent. I know there are plenty of people that want to see it and haven't.
0: Yes. Um, um, it's yeah. great. So I, it's... I'll I'll stop there from like explaining the plot, <laughs> but it's it's a odd mix of horror comedy that actually like works really well. Um there are elements of the movie that are very funny, there are elements of the movie that are actually kinda like scary. Um yes. it's it's not a scary, scary film. Um like uh it, it's not like a true horror film, but but there yeah. are like scary elements to it. Um it's Jordan Peele's first movie. Um and it, it's I'm a hell of a right there. It's a hell of a first movie. Yeah. Um, it's it's he also wrote it and the the writing is is incredible. There's so many elements of film where you keep thinking like oh man and like this and this and this and this and uh it's it's really um amazing. Um Daniel K- Kaluuya um is the that. the main actor. He's he's great. Um his girlfriend Allison Williams is also really good in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um kind of a minor character, but Kind of steals a lot of scenes is this guy um, Laurel Howery who plays the main character's cousin, um, and he's super funny yeah, throughout the film. He's the comedy relief role, yeah, 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 and he crushes it. He's yeah. so funny in this yeah. film, and uh, re- would really look forward to to seeing him in in other films. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's
1: good because uh, Jordan Peele obviously got to start as a comedian and is still a funny guy, and it's good to see him being able to identify funny actors, funny relatively unknown actors. Yeah, and I think that that's mm-hmm. what happened here.
0: Um, the other great performance in the film, I thought, was um, this kid Caleb Landry Jones, who plays his girlfriend's brother, mm-hmm. and he's a super creepy racist in a film and plays it. God, in something else. Too real, and he like really crushes it, and uh, it looks very unsettling. Yeah, um, he was one of the lots accident. of the film elements of the film are unsettling. Yeah, he was.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was in X Men First Class. That's what I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, you're right. He's like a the most explicitly racist character, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I, there's a lot of things I like about this
0: movie, but uh, I, I think well, one thing that it really does is it really illustrates like how white supremacy yeah. works. And yeah. if you have any. Questions about how it works. You should watch his film. <laughs> yeah, and it. Uh, Jordan Peele said that like it's not a comedy because it was put into the comedy category in the Golden Globes. So he said it should uh, just be a documentary. Yeah, uh, which is a great answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, And I, I kind of mangled that, but that's essentially what he said. That's his point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, one of the yeah. things that I really like about
1: it is that he casts Allison Williams and Bradley Whitford, who were leads in like these two monolithic white liberal properties, right? Because Allison Williams wasn't girls. And Bradley Whitford was in The West Wing. <laughs> it's these yeah. two like revered white liberal shows that, and they're being explicitly called racist in this movie, <laughs> yeah, and 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 presented in a way that is like this liberal, you know, American lefty kind of, of racism, and like that was a fascinating choice, and I have no doubt that it, that it wasn't an accident. Like he knew exactly mm. what he was doing there, uh, it, so, so that worked really well, um, I thought.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a very un- unsettling film. It's also funny. Um, and really look forward to seeing what Jordan, uh, what else Jordan Peele is up to. I know that he's working on um a new Twilight Zone series, which I was a yeah. little disappointed by. Oh, really? I think he could kill that. It'd be great. Yeah, but this is such a great like original sure. film, okay. and it's already Twilight Zone esque. Like, <coughs> mm-hmm. I don't think he needs to like retread this. But if mm-hmm. that's where his interest lies, and power yeah. to him. But I'd, I'd be interested to See him do more original work than like adaptations. But, I, I I agree. I, if
1: you're going to adapt something, though, like Twilight Zone's not a bad pick because it's all standalone stories, anyways. It's an, an anthology. I, I
0: feel like we already just have that with Black Mirror, yeah. and Black Mirror's good. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I'm I, sure I, he'll I, have an interesting take on it. Yeah, but, I hear your point. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, really like it out. So. Yeah, me too. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought I was it was
1: great. Um, Number Three, Charles. What's number three?
2: All right, my number three was Star Wars: The Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Um, I had a hard time figuring out how I feel about this movie and where I wanted to put it on the list, but I knew that you know it's a Star Wars movie. It's going to make my list. I thought it was going to be your number um, one. I missed on both. Of oh those. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I've been I've been kind of pulled back and forth with this movie. I guess. Um, like trying to figure out how I really feel about it. I need to see it again. I haven't it's, had the time. It's a long movie. I need to see it again, preferably in theaters. I'm going to try um, it's a somewhat
0: maligned film. It's uh, by some, yeah. It's
2: weirdly yeah. polarizing. Yes. I was a bit surprised by that <laughs> I and then I read that. some of the negative feedback on the internet, and then I wasn't surprised. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some that feels legitimate, and a lot that doesn't. But...
2: Yeah, so I'm kind of pulled back and forth because I have friends who are so gung ho positive about this movie that they um, are okay with some things that I can't oversee, I guess. Um, and then I have people I know people who are negative about it on things that I think shouldn't be mm-hmm. criticized about this movie. So I'm kind yeah. of pulled back and forth.
0: I, I ran into but, that a lot. Um, yeah. I. I think of the people I've talked to in person about it that didn't like it, my sense was that they just had really high expectations and they're also like longtime fans of the series. Yes. And they yeah. were they were like let down by some elements because the movie introduced like a lot of new things into the universe and into like the lore of yeah. these films. And they were like not on board with those changes. I think that was like the reaction that people who are like, excited and longtime fans of it mm. whereas like i went into this film with like pretty low expectations <laughs> and i had a really good time like i really mm. enjoyed the film it didn't make my top five but i enjoyed this film a lot yeah, well, um, it, it's not on my my top five either.
1: It was probably top ten. Like, I loved it. Like I, I think it's in a strong yeah. contention for just my favorite Star Wars movie all right. Mm-hmm. I think it's certainly in contention for one of the best sci fi movies of the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was excellent. I it it scratched a lot of itches that I had when it comes to Star Wars. Like yeah, I, I I loved it. I really did. Thought it was good. Yeah,
2: I don't know if I would put it beyond any of the original trilogy. Now I don't know how much of that is nostalgia speaking, but I just love the original trilogy sure. so much for what it is. Um, But I can appreciate this is probably the most complex Star Wars movie. There's so much different messaging in it, both speaking about the type of story that Star Wars tells. There's some social commentary, um, but there's also some meta commentary about Star Wars Mm -hmm. and about Star Wars fandom as well. It's just there's so much going on in this movie, and I like what it was trying to say. It kept me thinking about it beyond just, oh, you know, like when I watched The Force Awakens and you're like when you're done with it, you're like, oh, who's Snoke? Who's Ray?" And that's yeah. your only question. That movie's not about anything, yeah. Yeah, that's your only question about that movie, really. Um, whereas here, you really have to think about, you know, what Star Wars means to you yep. and things like that. And I thought that was very interesting. I kept my brain working on it after. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to put it, what, what Star Wars means to you, right? Because yeah. that, yeah.
1: that, that's so much what this movie is about and, like, what Star Wars ought to mean to you. Because yeah. I think this, it, there there's this uh, dynamic here about what the audience wants versus what the audience needs. Yeah, and if you go all the way towards what the audience wants, you're making pornography. Yeah. And that's not art. <laughs> and I think if you go and this movie is tending much more towards explaining to us what Ryan Johnson thinks we need and how we need to be interacting with our fandom, and that is, a, I think, an important conversation to be having right now. Um, and yeah. really complicated. And his answer is not as simple as kill the past. He's he has more going on than that. Right, like that. Ray holds yeah, on to the. I mean, there's
2: stuff about appreciating yeah. the past as legends.
1: Right, and and uh, uh, appreciating it and valuing it, but not holding onto it, yep. not fetishizing it. Yep. Right, and th- that's why I think that last shot with the kids that are playing in the, on the casino planet or whatever, and they're not they're recreating, with their toys the stuff that we saw in this movie. They're not recreating, you know, the Death Star run in Episode Four or something like that. Yeah, they're mythologizing what just happened. They're they're gaining new myths, and they're, they're children. And we should not be interacting with our our movies and our fandoms as children
0: do. Yeah, the film is taking a lot of criticism for that whole section, the casino section, and yeah, it, that I, misunderstands it, the movie. Yeah. I I really actually enjoyed that section. I thought it was yeah. one of the better parts. It was super funny because it yeah. introduced a lot of like weird Star Wars characters, and yeah. um, it kind of opens up the world say like hey like there's this other like element of this universe that there is are like people in star wars universe. yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's and like, they're also shitheads. <laughs> people <laughs> yes, complained
2: yeah. in the force awakens yeah. that there was no world building right and yeah. we got some world building here and people are complaining about it. it's like yeah. what the fuck do you want yeah well and
1: it's such a great take on the mos eisley thing right like it yeah. would be easy to like like they did in force Awakens because it just send them to another like dingy, backwater bar somewhere, Antuna, yeah. right? And like they
2: don't do that. It's and a
0: clear Moss Eisley reference. So right. when they're coming in, they're like, "This is the worst place you can go to." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, These the worst is...
2: people in the galaxy. Right. You got a rich galaxy. People. Exactly right,
1: and it's such a great take on the Han Solo character, right? With the with Benicio del Toro's guy, who is like, you, you, yeah. they're, they're setting him up to be this scoundrel with the heart of gold, and he's going to actually <laughs> save them and come around and not be in it for the yeah. money. And it's like, no, he just is going to turn on them immediately and disappear and take all the money.
2: Take his money and you know, leave. And yeah. that's it. And not show up again. Yeah. <laughs> and in like, the real world, that's what Han does. <laughs> right, of course
1: it is. right? Like, And, and so that's such a great critique of that trope. Yeah. Um, and t- to not understand how that fits in with the rest of the film, I think betrays a very clear lack of media literacy in so much of our yeah. audience.
0: Also one of the cooler scenes in Star Wars where the big ship like goes light speed oh, yeah. and the other awesome. ship. Hold on, maneuver. <laughs> See, I, yeah. I was
2: joking about how I couldn't see it again that same weekend because it would still be in the screaming crowd territory yeah. of movie release. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate that for my first viewing where the crowd's all pumped and they're all cheering for what's going on <laughs> on the screen. Yeah. But I want a more pure viewing for my second one where everybody's just completely quiet and I can appreciate the 10 seconds of silence for that scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not convinced that you'll ever... Get that scene quiet unless you watch it at home.
2: <laughs> like uh-huh. I think I think that uh-huh. crowds are
1: gonna like go nuts no matter
2: what. Yeah, like, the awesome. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we always talk about like the plot elements of this movie, but we forget how cool the action scenes still are. Because it is a Star Wars film. You yeah. still want at least some action, and the action is still very well done in this one as well.
1: Yeah, I mean so, I, think I think Ryan Johnson is so I mean he's good at that too. But I I'm think it's
0: okay to go, go a little longer in this film because it's been a very divisive film. But yeah. um, one one valid critique that or one critique I think is valid of this film is that at at this point it feels like this is just Star Wars fan fiction more than it is like Star Wars Star Wars where it's like Disney bought this property there's all these like other people that are working on it there it's there's a few different people who've like done the past few films so it, it doesn't feel like as cohesive as like the singular vision of of Lucas was, um, I think. Yeah, f- well, fan fiction
1: has a negative connotation. Yeah, and I think that if we yeah. follow or if we track with that negative connotation, that yeah. criticism lies much more squarely with Force Awakens. Like I think that movie, that's fair. That's much more clearly fan fiction to me. Like Ray is cast as a fan of Star Wars <laughs> in that in that movie. Yeah. Um To me, this movie and it's like a retread of A New Hope. They, yeah. Very obviously. Yeah. Uh, to me, this movie is really. Uh, just a critique of that movie, right? Like this is just Ryan Johnson saying, "JJ, you're not understanding what we're doing here. You're
0: not actually." Talking <laughs> to JJ stars. still has creative control of, yeah, of yeah. the series. The I think one. that's bad. I, I, I worry agree, about how yeah.
2: that'll make this trilogy feel since it's like the first two movies are fighting with each other and then we got the guy who made the first movie doing the third movie so there's as also, a trilogy this might be in a bit of trouble
0: there's been a lot of swapped directors for these films too that's always a really bad sign well of, they
1: they fired the uh colin trevero book of henry guy so that was
2: probably a good move <laughs> probably a good move. Yeah, the other <laughs> writer yeah squabbles were for the han solo movie yeah, yeah that's a which while. a little worried about could
0: portend uh some yeah, issues with that. Yeah, know, but, and
2: Amelia yeah. Clarkson in I think, and...
1: Yeah, but they also cast the guy from... Uh, I've seen her in bad movies. Yeah, the, the guy in uh, Hail, Caesar, that played the cowboy, is on Solo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which oh, I am very... Ex- Aaron Wright. He has an, an impronounceable name. And isn't
0: Donald Glover in it, too? Yes. Yeah, he's, 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 he's young Lando, Lando. Young Lando. Yeah, yeah, he's that, he's that great. So pretty awesome. So, yeah, I'm actually we, cautiously optimistic because of those two. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think... Um, I think Disney owning everything is bad, oh, and J.J. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Abrams being in control of everything is, is bad. He needs to be too. a
1: second unit director, like, or he needs to be just a producer, because like, I think he, he can conceptualize things really well, and he directs action scenes great. Like His action scenes look really yeah. good. Um, he doesn't tell stories well, and he mm-hmm. doesn't articulate characters well at all, and he never has.
0: Yeah, I think it would have been nicer to have someone who could like really tie all these yep. stories that they're trying to tell together. Yeah. Which and- is... It feels a little frantic at the yeah. moment. Yeah, which is
1: why I think yeah. the MCU has been so successful is that they have the Kevin Feige figure who can really, like, lay down the law. Like, yeah. he can do producer-driven yeah. storytelling.
2: I yeah. definitely get the impression, like, they did not write down a plan for the entire trilogy. They just decided, we're going to make a trilogy because that's how Star Wars what? films have been made. And then they threw out The Force Awakens. Well, I think yeah.
0: Disney paid a lot of money for these films and they needed to see a return immediately yeah. for their shareholders. And so they're they're going to keep pumping out films. Yeah. Like, we, we're already getting a fourth trilogy. Yeah. Um could,
1: oh, all of them are going to be directed by Ryan Johnson. Obviously. I wouldn't be
0: surprised to see more TV shows coming. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to get a lot of Star Wars. Yeah, that's perfect. And also,
0: rip to the uh, Extended Universe. But, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <yeah>, <laughs> There's awesome stuff in the Extended Universe, and it's really unfortunate that they've, they've well, decided well, to. You can you still know, read it. Everything
2: you need yeah. from the Extended Universe, you still have with you. Yeah, you yeah. can, you can go, go read those as, books whenever uh, you want. As Yoda said. It's,
0: it's just unfortunate that it's not a part of the lore. Because, like, with the first three movies, it was. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, my
1: number three was is uh, Mother. <laughs> Exclamation point! Um, have, did either of you see it? I did not.
0: Everyone who saw it except you said it was terrible, it so is, I didn't <laughs> go see it. <laughs> one of the best movies yeah. I've
1: uh, obviously one of the best movies I've seen all year. Um, it was uh, until I saw the next two on my list. It was firmly number one for me. Huh. Um, I I loved Mother. I thought that it was it's it to, just to put the cards on the table. It is a Christian allegory. That's what it's about. Like this, this movie is about the Bible, and it is about. Uh, our treatment of faith and devotion and God and creation. And what Aronofsky does here that I found most fascinating in a movie rife with fascinating things is cast, uh, Javier Bardem um, plays the God Jesus figure, Jennifer Lawrence in maybe her best performance since Winterbone plays the mother who doesn't really fit as snugly into the uh, biblical metaphor here. Um, he What Aronofsky casts Javier Bardem and God as both creator and creative. So he is a person who creates all of life, but he is also a person as an artist as a person, and and as an artist creates. And drawing that metaphor is a little bit egotistical if you're an artist like (laughs) like, like Karanofsky is. Um, But I think he makes a really compelling point about our devotion to our our deity and our gods and our religions and how that tracks with our devotion to art um, and also Christianity uh, specifically it feels to me like the question that he was asking when he entered this movie is how do you make the Bible a horror story and his answer was tell it from a woman's perspective (laughs) and that which is exactly what happens in this film most of it is told from very tight focus on the Jennifer Lawrence character we're very much experiencing the movie as she experiences it um, I think that if you understand this movie as just a series of bit- biblical metaphors, you're misunderstanding it. Um, I think that there is much more going on. I think that it is about how these stories and how faith can be, uh, how God's love can be something destructive and selfish, mm-hmm. and how the demand that God makes on us to love everyone and to be around and, and to take in everyone and to welcome everyone is actually a very self-centered demand and a a very dangerous request Mm. for people to make Um, and it's it's a complex movie I think it stands up to many multiple viewings I think it is probably the most misunderstood movie of the year Um, everybody should watch it especially Christians Um, I think that it's an excellent companion piece to Noah Darren Aronofsky's last movie also about faith also Mm. about the dangers of faith and the dangers of believing too much and believing not carefully Um, and Mother takes it to another insane level. Um, I I loved it.
2: I think everybody should watch it. Yeah,
0: So, go both of you <laughs> watch Mother. It's not I, a horror I, movie. I heard, a lot of people say it's terrible. I, it's I, not. I heard that uh,
2: there is, like, it, I heard that it is an allegorical film, and now that you mention what it is, like, I guess I would probably be able to figure it out. I wonder if I would have been able to figure it out while watching? Because I, I, I feel like I don't get the religious stuff that well, because I wasn't raised as a Christian or anything like that, mm-hmm. so... Whenever, like, I can understand some of the Christian, like, stories and metaphors when they pop up, but I feel like, you know, someone trying to speak a language using Google Translate. Yeah, you know, I hear that. There's, and like, another, like, layer between me and the, the references.
1: Yeah, I, I've talked to people who liked it that didn't catch until the end of the movie that it was a, a Christian allegory, mm-hmm. um, so if, if that persuades you one way or the other, um, I think it's crystal clear. Like, there there comes a point in the movie where... Like they're living, they're living. It takes place in this house that the Javier Bardem character apparently built, and uh, there comes a point early in the movie when a man that nobody knows shows up, who is a doctor, and then then doesn't get a name, and then a little bit later his wife shows up, and then they're like living in this place together, and then there is a transgression, and they are thrown out, mm-hmm. and their sons throw up, show up, and one of the sons kills the other one. So it's like it's the Adam and Eve story and the Cain and Abel story you know, told in, like, a very strange, off-putting way. Um, but to me, it, it's hard to miss. So, like, that story's in there. Uh, the Birth of Christ is in there. The Flood, you no, know, it's Flood is in there. Like, it, it's many, many biblical stories um, told through this, you know, insane, disorienting perspective. Um, so yeah. If mother, go watch it. Don't listen to the the haters.
0: <laughs> All right. My number three movie was It. Uh, that uh, the was, I that would be your other number one Okay, now I have no idea what your favorite name <laughs> <All right>. is <laughs> um, it, so it's great um, it's it uh, stars uh, Bill Skarsgård as uh, Pennywise super creepy um, it's the first half of the book and the first half of the miniseries that came out in the 90s so it's all the, the kids parts um, and it's a story uh, about a town in Maine called Derry um, where there, it's being kind of like stalked by this otherworldly presence that comes in the form of a clown um, and the clown eats children and it presents itself to the children in the movie and tries to um convince them to go with him and then so the, the implication being that he he eats them
2: he can't just eat them out on the street
0: uh well he does that at times uh. and it's very <laughs> horrific fact fashion actually the film so is there a not horrific way to eat children <laughs> um so the film kind of opens in a way and it it very clearly like separates itself from the mini series where it's um in the mini so the first scene in the movie what happens is um there's there's this kid and he's like playing in the rain and he has this like boat the the trailer scene yeah the trailer scene (laughs) and in the mini series the kid just kind of like disappears with pennywise and what the movie does and this is a little bit of a spoiler but it's just the first scene in the movie it the creature, like, bites the kid's arm off, (laughs) and you see this, like, five-year-old, like, get attacked by this creature, and then it, like, pulls him down into the sewer, and... What well, I think the movie did very intentionally there was to say, like, this is not the miniseries. Like, this okay. is the movie, we're cranking this you up to. You expected the miniseries, yeah. Right? you're seeing this. Yeah, this is 11, uh, okay. and it, it does not mess around. Um, it's super scary, um, but it's also very endearing. It has an ensemble cast of kids, one of which is film Finn Wolfhard, who's in Stranger Things. Yep. He's great. Um, the girl in the movie, Sophia Lillis, also great. And then this other kid in the group, there's about five or six kids, um Jack Dylan Grazer is hilarious and like really crushes this film. Um so a lot of like really standout talents. Um very impressive child ensemble cast. Uh all of them are really great. The movie is super creepy. Some of the scariest stuff I've like seen in a movie like comes comes from this film. Um mm-hmm. there's this one scene in in a library. And man, that is like one of the scariest things I saw this this year. Um, this kid, like, okay. he goes he goes down to like the basement stacks, and he's like looking for a specific book, and it is like waiting for him down there, and it is terrifying. Sounds like Zodiac. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, right. yeah, that the scene. Best scene in the base, yeah, the yeah. best scene, Zodiac, yeah. it's also great the best for scene. Horror. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but the ways in which the clown or Pennywise like comes at the children is always changing, and like. It like can keeps you on your feet as to like what's what's happening or like what's gonna happen. um It's longer too, right, for a horror movie. Yeah, yeah I think it's over two hours. Yeah, um, and it's the first of two. They're gonna mm-hmm. do the adults part. I think next year's is play, coming. The, the kids kids what
2: they do in the Tim Curry movie?
0: So in the Tim Curry one, they kept so when you would introduce uh they would introduce like a new child character or no they'd introduce an adult that was like one of the kids in in the group and then they would go back and they would you would see the first time that the kids saw pennywise so it's like a combination of uh, yeah so it would time shift each every time it introduced like a new adult character flashback essentially and this film doesn't do that it's straight straight story just with the kids you don't see their adult versions uh at all um so i it's interesting that they chose to do it that way. I didn't read the book, so I don't know how Stephen King did it. I assume he might—he probably time shifted, uh, like the miniseries. I don't
1: think he did. I haven't read it either, but I don't think he did. I yeah, think, I think it's told straight, and then there's like a, a clear split in the middle, and it's like this is the adult part.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'm glad that the movie did it this way. I think it's an impressive performance um, through the whole cast. It's a terrifying movie really really like this movie okay i still haven't uh, seen it and i haven't necessarily avoided it um so i think i will see it soon ish
2: um
1: but yeah for all those
2: things that it's really good it
0: did surprisingly well at the box office too so i'm i'm yeah, glad I think that it's like it the
2: lived. highest grossing horror film ever or something like that
0: right something like that yeah that's got yeah that yeah. sounds right yeah yeah um yeah this this sounds great
1: okay it's on my i this is the first one I haven't seen, and it, it's on my list. Don't. Um,
0: the non horror elements are also good. It's also just about kids kind of like the general like it's a metaphor for just like the horrific nature of like growing up and like interacting <laughs> with adults eaten and, up like, by the real world. yeah, no, it really is about that. and um the the moments where it's not a horror film is just kids kind of like messing around like really like was very spoke to me in like a nostalgic way of someone who like did grow up in Maine. Did yeah. sort of mess around in the woods and like had a group of friends like this, so it's it spoke to me in a lot of ways. I, yeah, okay, yeah.
1: cool.
2: Uh, all right, Charles, what's uh, what's number two for you? My number two was Blade Runner 2049. Um, yeah, I liked so much about this movie. First of all, it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, <laughs> no like, <sure>. amazing cinematography. <laughs> yeah. I really hope Deakins gets an Oscar for this one, uh, it was just stunning, and I just really love these kind of stories about. Artificial Intelligence. A lot of them mm-hmm. have been coming up lately. There's a lot of it on Black Mirror. Um, Her and Ex Machina tackled the subject really well. Yeah. Um, Westworld was pretty high profile and talked about it, but um, to a more disappointing degree because it didn't cover the subject as much. But oh. I just love thinking about like artificial sentience and like what makes something alive. Mm-hmm. And like this movie um, had a pretty satisfying take on that subject. Um, yeah, I just really loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those... I, I, we saw it together, I think. Were we all there? Did we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and, yeah, no, I, I liked it a lot, too. It's, it's a, you're right, a gorgeous movie. It looks like every shot is just so uh, carefully composed. I just love those kinds of movies
2: where, yeah. you know, each shot is like a painting and you can just eat it up. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it, that, that's, what gets, that's what happens when you hire uh, Deacons to, yeah. <laughs> to shoot your movie. Um, and also one of the great gut punch moments in movies this year... Yeah. when the um, story
2: had an amazing kind of fake out yeah
1: well, they're, they're, uh, well we, might, we might be thinking of different things but okay. what, what one were you thinking of
2: well I was thinking about when you find out that Ryan Gosling isn't the oh that's is, not what I was thinking of but yes, the... spoiler, <laughs> she, Spider. Spider. Yeah. <laughs> yes Oh, my bad no, whatever but, <laughs> yeah but. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah no you're you're right I like that a lot like that that he's it's similar to Star Wars in that respect right because that was yeah. the other great moment in Star Wars is that Ray's parents were nobody yeah um, same thing here that he's not the chosen one um yeah I think is a a good choice I think we want
2: to see more I mean like the whole point of that was that he was starting to act uh, as if he were independent like a human um, because he thought that he was the child and in the end he wasn't but then you realize it didn't matter because he had it all in him the the whole time which
1: to me like raises such interesting questions about is humanity then something that you're born with or is it just the state of desiring to be human that, that makes you human Right, and that's why I think that the, the robot sex scene that was maligned by so many is actually kind of brilliant. Actually, it, I
2: thought most people liked that. Oh, that I? seems to be okay. the most praised scene that i see in okay. comments about the movie. Well, like, good, because I thought it was great. I heard some criticism yeah. about it. Yeah, okay. I have too. But, but just yeah. on like Reddit discussion, people really love that scene. Those
1: people don't count. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. And the reason that I think it works so well is that it drove home that point that your humanity comes from desire. And at that moment, he is literally experiencing sexual desire, but also the desire to be a, a person. Yeah. And that's all it takes. Like it, it's the desire and the actualization of it are equivalent, mm-hmm. are, are melded together in the same way that the prostitute that he hires and the Joy character are literally melded
2: mm-hmm. in
1: that scene uh, into a single image. Yeah, um, Really complex, interesting um, filmmaking from Denis Villanueva, D- who is now kind of carving out this niche as yeah. Uh, Thoughtful sci-fi director, I think. Um, yeah,
2: I'm excited for what his take on Dune will be. Assuming oh, that's still going, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No I, I'm
0: looking forward to that. Yeah. I think it could be good. I'll watch it. Um, yeah, I, I like this film as well. I think it didn't make my top five, but it, for all the reasons that you said it's good, I, I think it's good. I'm surprised that it flops so hard. I um, Yeah. Like, it's like well, three hours long. It is long. And,
1: like... A three-hour genre film.
2: I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think I there's a the lot of Runner, there. I thought that the Blade Runner name had a bit more power to it. Yeah,
1: same. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think it's it's Blade pretty Runner. niche, right? Like there's a there's a cult following that's very enthusiastic, and they're gonna yeah. go watch the three-hour version. I show.
0: think what it, what yeah. I liked about the film is it has a much more clear ideology, where it's like the film is about slavery, and yeah. about yeah. how slavery is wrong, and yeah. it's not clear in the first film like where. I mean, well, there's so many versions of the first film. That's that's difficult <laughs> exactly about it. Well, <laughs> and, I don't yeah. feel
2: like the first Blade Runner had that much
1: to say. I don't. I think it's overrated, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, overrated is like an obnoxious criticism of anything. Like I realize that, but I think it's kind of just. Strange. Well, we
0: also saw the original in theaters. I, I did and not. The version that we saw in theaters was a different version from what I had ever seen, and that yeah, I think the saw, version like, the in theaters was a good. Version of the film, okay. yeah. I liked it a lot it more. Better. When I saw it in the theater. Is that the one with the unicorn or without the unicorn? With the unicorn, <laughs> okay, yeah,
1: because I think that's a version without the unicorn, yeah. Um, yeah, there is I, that's
0: that's like the theatrical cut,
1: right? I don't know what ver- I, th- I must have seen the one with the unicorn because I remember well, there's the so there's eight versions yeah, of the know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but that which is insane, yeah. Um, oh, man. so yeah, so it's hard to talk about it as like a I think yeah. most
2: people use the was the final cut they call it yeah. to discuss eventually. it as the
0: as the yeah. definitive like version.
2: version. It says final. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but but like, you know, yeah. Um, people agreed, uh, but the gut punch moment I was talking about um, was he has this what I felt was a really affecting relationship with the Joy AI. Yeah, um, and she eventually like gives him a real name because he has his robot name, his replicant name that is I forgot what it was, just like a series of characters. K K, yeah. Um, and she says, oh, no, your name is Joe. You're going to be Joe from now on. And he's like, all right. And she ends up dying. Um, the bad guys kill her. And then he finds another version of this product who calls him Joe. An
2: and advertisement, and advertisement of her <laughs> with the same uh, body. And
1: it's it's just this one's like, oh, that wasn't anything real. Yeah, that was
2: devastating. Yeah, like yeah. that was that hit really hard. I thought that that was, that was really well done. Um, so, and yeah. It raises an interesting discussion about the Joy character. Because... Yes. She could be the more simulated intelligence, right? Like the VI versus AI Mm -hmm. from Mass Effect, where, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like my biggest struggle with this AI discussion is where you draw the line between something that's sentient and something that's simulating sentience. And it seems like they were implying that Joy is a simulated sentience that just appears real. But it's like, where do you draw that line? I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, and I mean, it might be a line that's
1: different to everyone because his experience of Joy was that he was a person. Yeah. Right. Like he understood her as a person, interacted with yeah. her as a person, especially by the end of the movie, um, or by the end of. Her yeah, But time the movie.
2: problem is, if she's programmed to react that way right. in all cases. Right. So, like,
1: how, is what's important his individual subjective experience, or is it there's some objective standard? Who knows? That's yeah. One of the it's big questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great movie, good pick. Um, our number two. Yes. Yep. Yep. My number two was a movie I actually saw pretty recently. I'd slept on it for a long time, and I should not have. Um, Columbus. It was grossly underwatched. I didn't even hear about it. Yeah, I've I I no heard idea about what it at all. About. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's kind of uh, so. The premise of the story is it takes place in Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio. Um, John Cho plays the son of an architecture uh, professor.
2: Now I'm really sad I didn't hear about
1: it. Yeah, it, John Cho is great in it. Um, he is. He lives in Korea. He is forced to come to this tiny town. Uh, where his dad was not from, he's just going to give a speech there, and he gets stranded there as his dad uh, is in a coma, essentially. Um, he meets a young girl that is from this, he's, John Cho's in his 30s or whatever, he meets a, a young girl, she's 19 or 20, who is from pretty this true. town. I'm pretty
2: sure John Cho's in his 40s, actually. Okay,
1: well, he looks like he's in his 30s, so good yeah. for him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's that Asian skin. Yeah, he, uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who had not, who had seen in Split, she's one of the other girls that's in Split, not uh, Annie Taylor-Joy. Um, she's in this movie as well. She's from this small town and is uh, something of an architecture enthusiast. Columbus, Indiana is known for, apparently, being a mecca for modernist architecture in America. There are many famous buildings uh, in this movie that wow. uh, just sprang up in the middle of the Midwest in this town. So.
2: I had not heard of that. That sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a a fascinating movie. It kind of plays out as though Lost in Translation took place in the Midwest. (laughs) It feels like that. Um, It is another first-time director who's a a guy that only goes by his first name that I'm going to struggle to pronounce. Um, Koganda? Koganada? I think it's Koganada. Um, So he has one name. This is the first thing he's ever directed. Um, It does the Kubrick-esque thing where it will, he will situate, it's a lot of split shots, he will situate the camera in a specific place, focused on a building, focused on a room, compose it in a very specific way and just have his characters move about within that frame without moving the camera very much. That's um, so, a very
2: architectural way to compose it, a scene.
1: It, Yeah, exactly. So it, the, one of the interesting things about the film is that he does that literally in every shot except when the two of them are together and then he'll, mm. he'll move the camera when it's the both of them. Mm. Um, so it's this movie about people that feel as though they're in an isolated situation. John Cho is not from this place. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't have any friends there. Uh, Haley Lou Richardson loves her hometown, but is being told constantly that she shouldn't and that, that she should move on and find something bigger and something better. And it's about her being able to accept that it's okay for her to love where she's from and that leaving where she's from, it doesn't make her love this any less, which kind of makes it an inverse version of Lady Bird, yeah. um, which I found fascinating. Um, it's also a movie about learning to articulate and define what you love, because she loves these buildings. She she loves the architecture that is in them. And as she's explaining this to John Cho, who several times throughout the movie says that he has no interest in architecture, um, he she starts giving these tour guide style speeches about what this building means and when it was built and why it was built this way. And he has to stop her and say, no, why do you love it? What do you find value in it? And like, th- that's a fascinating idea to me that it's, it's, a, it's this movie about not just loving something, but understanding why you love something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, it, I found it a, a very a touching film, um, another film about small towns that I think we see again running throughout 2017. Uh, and I, I, I recommend it strongly. Just okay. a, a quiet, small movie. It was in theaters for about two weeks, I think. But go watch it. I it feel was,
2: like I gotta see this. Yeah, I like architecture. I think you would I like it. John Show. It seems like the perfect movie.
0: For yeah, me. I remember. I, sure
1: was, I remember watching it and thinking that you would like it. Yeah. Um, and I gotta check yeah, it out. I think you would. Yeah, it was really good. Columbus is the name of the movie. Oh,
0: uh, my number two movie was uh, The Shape of Water. Yeah, Uh, which is Guillermo del Toro's effort this year. Um, Star Sally Hawkins, um, who is a deaf woman. She's a night janitor at a a government facility. And the government, most likely the CIA, has captured um, what's essentially a merman. The creature from the Black Lagoon, right? (laughs) Which looks very much like the creature from the Black Lagoon. (laughs) Um, Octavia Spencer is her friend and another janitor. Uh, Really great performance from both of them. And uh, Michael Shannon is kind of the guy who's, like, captured the creature. Um, And then the creature is played by a guy named Doug Jones, who played some of the creepier things in Guillermo del Toro's older films. Um, It's hard to talk about this film without spoiling elements of it. Um, It's important to know that Sally Hawkins is uh, deaf, Mm -hmm. um, and she signs throughout the movie. um, And it's one of the ways in which she kind of, like, connects with the creature. Um... And it's a lot about um, actually a lot. It's a lot about people who are like really on the edges of society. It takes place in the sixties. So she's a deaf woman. Um, the, her, her friend, um, is black, like, and they, it's implied that they're like on the South or like in Virginia. So like Mm -hmm. on the border of the South, her neighbor's gay, her neighbor's gay. Um, and it's a lot about how, like all these like outsiders kind of come together Mm -hmm. to like accomplish something. Sort of similar to Brigsby or The Disaster Artist. Um, and then the other thing that it's very much about is it's about sexuality and how, like, yes. it's okay to have a weird and different sexuality. And the mm-hmm. film kind of, like, negotiates that in, in really interesting ways. Um, and without spoiling anything. Um <laughs> <laughs> the it's it's a del toro film so there are like horrific elements of this film Um, michael shannon gets his fingers bitten off at one point um and we got some pans labyrinth in
2: there
0: yeah so there's there's some gore in in this film and like it's light like it's 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 not that bad I yeah okay. <laughs> well there's a moment later yeah that, okay okay yeah, okay, oh.
1: yeah. i forget. yeah you're right
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> shannon plays a great tyrant in this film he's he's really like it's not the fish man that's the scary part of the film it's michael shannon and he plays like the a, man is always the real monster he yeah he plays kind of this like manager level like kind of mid-level manager mm-hmm. who's like a complete tyrant and is very scary um and it's you know, one of many, many, many great performances by Michael Shannon. Kind of it, the perfect Michael Shannon role. Yeah. Right? Like he is so well
1: suited for this role. It feels yeah. like no one else would yeah. do it.
0: Um but mm. I, I think the film is very radical in that it, it's mostly about like sexuality. Um the having a disabled person be your main character is very radical. There's very few films that, that have that. Um and the effects in the world that Guillermo del Toro builds are is awesome. Um all the it's, details of a del toro film are always yeah um very ornate and beautiful and weird yeah they're ornate but they don't feel constructed right like these
1: these places that like her apartment is the perfect example right like it it feels like an apartment but there's also like it's just rife with all these little details and all these little objects that he places all over the the, the screen and just fills up this space but it never feels like oh, the director put a bunch of shit here, right? (laughs) Like, it it feels so, I don't even want to say intentional because that sounds- Natural? Yes, exactly, yes, it feels natural, exactly right.
0: Yeah, um, Del Toro is one of my favorite working directors. I think he mm-hmm. had a lot of duds earlier in his career, and he's able to work through a period of B films and really come out as a great director. He's made some really terrible films. Um, <laughs> the sequel to Blade is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> he directed that. Um, <laughs> yes, he did. There are some other really bad films that he's made, and I think he's learned a lot from those experiences. And Now that he commands a bigger budget, his films are... Excellent. And he's one of the most artistic working directors right now. Mm. This movie was way cheaper than he thought it was,
1: though. Like, I remember watching it and thinking, like, this must have cost a freaking fortune. I bet it did It it didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was... I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was literally a fraction of what I thought it was. Like, it was way cheaper. Like, he floods that apartment building, and it it apparently wasn't that expensive to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I think his... I think coming out of that be filmmaking experience is, yeah. is good. I think you know, James James Cameron did the same mm-hmm. thing and you know these he all they're before. able to do like so much more when you have the constraints of a lower budget and then realize you know how to like apply apply like what you've learned from yeah. like B filmmaking. Yeah, and, and, I I am sorry, I
1: don't mean to interrupt, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Michael Stubarg was in this movie and gives another he's the other scientist, the one that turns out to be a good guy and like helps them you know, with their heist,
0: sequ- like there's a heist sequence in this movie, right? Like, yeah, was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's great. It, it's insane. I and mean, it he, deals a lot with the politics of the 60s. Yeah. Where uh, on TV, they're seeing um, you know, what's happening in the South. And yeah. it also ties in with the Red Scare mm-hmm. a lot. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it would be a spoiler to go further
1: than that. But yes, it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's it's also, uh, to me, at, at its core and its most essential. Like it answers the question, right? Like the because the question is what is the shape of water, and the the answer is the shape of its container, right? Like I think I think (laughs) like no, I think that's literally the answer in this in this movie because there are so many shots of uh, Michael Shannon with his uh, glass of water, right, in this spherical small confined space. Uh, there is th- like the the where water is placed in this movie is so important. Like you have water in this tank where the creature is confined, yeah. but then she floods her entire apartment to accommodate him, yeah. right? And your experience of what water and life and love or whatever is is whatever space you make for it, yeah, right? And like that's such a cool idea, and like yeah. that he he draws that line throughout the whole movie is is so great.
0: Yeah, it also it flips a lot of things. So Michael Shannon is like you're you know, your what would be your traditional main character, right? He's a straight white guy. Yeah. He has a family. He lives in a suburb. He's a Christian, <laughs> and they show that he's the villain. In a very, he's a villain, yeah. not just a villain, but also he's like a weird. He's like a sexual weirdo in this yeah. film. Yeah, Whereas, like, even though he's the straight guy, he's he's the weirdo. Yeah, and right, he, and, it, and, and well, and he's The so, politics of this film are very complex. and I, I think that's yeah, well, it's it. great, and
1: I think that it's partially about. Rigidity versus fluidity. Yeah. Right, where we have Michael Shannon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we have Michael Jan- Shannon as this very rigid character yeah. who cares a lot about the rules. And we have the the merman creature from Black Lagoon and Sally Hawkins' yeah. character who are very fluid and, and have a more feminine energy.
0: Yeah, Del Toro, he always yeah. starts with like very simple ideas. And he yeah. said his only idea for this film was like, what if the creature of the Black Lagoon was actually the hero? Yeah. The okay. Film? Yeah, great. <laughs> and because all those like creature films from the 50s are about these creatures capturing women and taking them yeah. away from society and then all these white guys go and kill the yeah. creature and save, and save the her. girl. Yeah. And the film is kind of like, well, what if the woman wanted to go with the creature? Right. Exactly. What if they fell in love? And what if the creature is actually had good intentions? Yeah. And, like and what that? if the woman is
1: rescuing the creature? Yeah. Right. Like so how... It's like the, Beauty and the Beast then. In a well, no, in like because a non-captor. E, way. Yeah, like okay. less insidious than. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a really good pick. I, I liked that movie a lot, a lot.
0: Yeah, and it's still in theaters. It's excellent. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, right. And yeah, really Del Toro's cool. another director that I, I will see in theaters. no matter, yeah. no matter it, what it, the it, film is. Yeah, oh, yeah one of those guys. Probably see that. You'd
1: probably, I think everyone would like it. I think it's just yeah. one of those movies that's. It's really. It
0: ends up being like cute too. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. It does. Um, yeah, there's more to say about that movie, but I guess we... Um,
0: yeah, we should move on to Worst Films. Yeah,
2: Worst Films. Okay, so... Oh, all right. Uh, my Worst Film of the Year that I saw this year was <laughs> Valerian and the City of a Thousand
0: Planets. Okay. So this is also my Worst Film. So we oh, really? can, yeah. we can knock, <laughs> knock it out together. All right. Yeah, um, it, it, it was yeah. terrible.
2: So I went in expecting it to be a bad movie, but I didn't expect <laughs> it to be this apocalyptically bad. Uh, yeah. I thought I would go in and get like kind of a Jupiter Ascending <laughs> sort of experience like a lot of people hated jupiter ascending i don't agree with that uh. but I, I expect to go in and get like kind of a bad story and some bad acting but some cool sci-fi scenes yeah but i got a really really bad story and horrific acting and not <laughs> like maybe one interesting scene in the whole movie and yeah. none of the rest of the like not even this like expensive cg that they had was that interesting or good no nope. like there was one kind of cool action scene where they're in this Uh, interdimensional marketplace where it's like a complete barren desert but the store is in another dimension in that physical space. Yes. So they're kind of fighting on two levels. Yeah. So if you put on these goggles you're
0: able to see this other this like fourth dimension. Yeah, and that was the one interesting thing in the entire movie.
2: The premise of the movie is they go to this big space station that where thousands of alien races have joined together in this big combined space station thing, right? But they never take advantage of the fact that this is the setting. The most they do is they have a slideshow of what is on the station. And then later they have the main character kind of fly through it all on a rocket. But it's going through the exact same slideshow as when they showed you the, the station at the beginning. So you don't see anything new. He never interacts with the station. It's bad. And um, Dane DeHaan gives one of the worst performances I've ever seen a lead actor give yeah. in a high-budget movie. I've never seen a performance. Was so bad. It was extremely cringy. Strong
0: contender for worst actor, Razzie.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, I've never seen a performance so horrible in my life, I don't think. It was just so bad. His voice was so distracting. And the the movie hinges on his relationship with his partner. Uh, and how he has like fallen in love with her and he's trying to like convince her to fall in love with him or something like that. And they have no chemistry, uh, yeah. they kind of look alike, which makes it very disturbing because they don't <laughs> look like their brother and They sister. do look like siblings. <laughs> They're not supposed to be so siblings.
0: She's, uh, Cara Dele- Delevingne or yeah, something like that. Cara she's Delevingne. also a model, but she's actually good in this film she, despite what's happening around her. might be the best actress her. in the film. Um, yeah, like for sure. Um Ethan Hawke shows up for a brief stint late in the film. And I kinda wanted to I was like, why do we have Dane DeHaan? Why don't we just take get rid of him, put Ethan Hawke <laughs> in the lead. Yeah. He would have done a much better job Easily. as the main thing. But he's like um, twenty years older than you know. But he's a good he's an actor. This <laughs> okay. is Hollywood. Like okay. Dane DeHaan doesn't act in this film. He's like Stoically reading okay. lines, he's not. He's acting. given fine performances before, I think. He so. was awful in this film. Yeah, um, he's never been this bad, but he was just so bad here. So, um, uh, I was disappointed by this film, which is why I think it's the worst film I saw this year. Um, Luke, Luke, Basson has done interesting things. Most, I mean, most he notably, Fifth Element. Fifth yeah. Element is a one of the best sci-fi films like period it is a great film it's so fun it's so well it's so interesting the world is so detailed it hit the right level of quirky exactly
2: you can tell in this movie in valerian that he was trying to go for that same kind of quirky but he just went too far you could tell that he was trying to emulate yeah Yeah,
0: so disappointing and Luc Besson should not be allowed to direct films anymore he should (laughs) he (laughs) he he can be an art director i think he does some interesting Things, but he should not be allowed to control a project like this because it was a disaster back to front. Yep. the story is ridiculous and does not matter at all. Yeah, it's like why are we? Why do we care about this at all? No reason whatsoever. It, it's
1: based on a French comic, right? It's
0: based on an old French comic from like the twenties or something. No, no,
1: I think it was the seventies. Like, like no, family. I
0: think it's really old. Oh, really? All right. Yeah, and I. I'm sure the comic's bad, so they're just using, like, the (laughs) universe. It's been running for, like, 40 years at least. Sure, I'm sure. But they're just, like, (laughs) using the universe of the comic to, like, try and tell a story. Which is fine. Like, there's interesting, like, sci-fi stuff that comes out of the 40s. It's, like, very imaginative because we didn't really know what space was like at that time. Mm -hmm. And... Turns out there's no aliens. (laughs) Yeah, and this is just bad. Yeah, there's so much bad in this movie. It's really... Problematic too in a number of ways. The uh, Rihanna character was like, yeah, in oh, very super problematic. Like came across as very racist. Um, and everyone who's in this should be <laughs> embarrassed, <laughs> except for Cara Dele- De- Delevingne. So yeah, she's, I, 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 she's, she's she it.
2: made do with what she had. I think she had an actual yeah.
0: character. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, she did fine. It, it doesn't hurt that she's gorgeous too. So, but the rest of the film is just awful mm-hmm. and super disappointing. So, okay. well, you, poor, poor
2: Clive Owen got sucked into it to play the. He does bad, bad, bad films guy. though, so yeah. that
0: wasn't surprising to see him in here. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you guys have talked me into it. I think I'm gonna go around to it. It's to it's, it's almost going. it's almost at the point where it's so bad it's funny.
2: It, it's like yeah, fact, it, it's on the border it borderline
0: there. It's on the borderline. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending, year It's a great comparison, actually, because that, that is a that is a bonkers. Film. Yeah, but
2: see, that one was bad, but I thought it had some merit to it. It had some funny elements to it. It had some interesting like well, storytelling. Eddie
0: Redmayne was like, "All right, I'm gonna." Knock I this, loved his knock character
2: because his character was so bonkers that it yeah. was interesting and funny to watch. Yeah, and like, I mean the the ship design in that film was like amazing. The, their spaceships were so cool.
0: Yeah, there's so much weird. <laughs> Crap in that movie, and, I guess the
2: Wachowskis,
0: yeah. Um, but it's a good comparison because it's like another like sci fi epic that just like I need to keep was, reminding like, myself why fi do visuals they do don't this? just
2: make the film, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go eat them up every time, anyway.
0: Well, you need You're someone, what, yeah, No, yeah. you need someone who like knows how to tell a story, too. That's why like the Del Toro films work, yeah, or like Jedi, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like you need to do something with, with these Yeah, it's like, and,
2: you know, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, they have a great sci-fi visual aesthetic as well. But yes. they can actually yeah. tell a story
0: yeah. and have characters yeah. you care about. That's how you do that kind of film.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay,
1: so I struggle picking the worst movie of the year for many reasons. Uh, one of them is that I like most of the movies I see. <laughs> I, I have a pretty good read on what my tastes are. I like watching good things more than bad things. So <laughs> most of the time I watch something and I, at the very least, don't hate it. Um, Crossman has pointed out to me that I may be too cautious in my movie selection. Um, and there is possibly some merit to that. Uh, the other reason I, I struggle to pick a worst movie is that I don't like disliking movies. right? Like I think there's something kind of mean about just like picking somebody <laughs> out and saying, like, no, your thing was bad. Um, But bad movies exist. But bad movies certainly exist, and it is important to understand why they're bad, and it is important to identify them as bad. So I acknowledge the utility of this exercise. That said, um, what I actually did this year rather than picking a worst movie is picking my most disappointing movie. That's fair. And my most disappointing movie by a mile was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: I, yeah. yeah. I was pretty disappointed by this film too. It
1: was so bad. And it was offensive in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, it's like, an interesting pick because I feel yeah. like a lot of people are very high on that movie. They're wrong. It's not good. <laughs> uh, the, I, I feel a responsibility to point it out here again because we gave this off soft recommend when we did In Bruges um, directed by the same guy. This movie's racist, in really obvious ways, and really surprising ways. And ableist. Yeah, and and very ableist, and it feels to me like it was directed by a guy who has no interest in his subjects, both the town that he's shooting and the people that he's shooting, and it's also a little bit hostile to both of them, so his portrayal is inaccurate, it just doesn't mesh with anything that a real person would do with the way a real town functions, and also very cruel. And, and that it's portraying these people as oaks and and stupid in a way that doesn't oh make, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? So like that he like Ebbing, Missouri is a Midwestern town, right? It's in Missouri. This is the Midwest. But he casts it as like this mishmash of a Midwestern and a Southern town that has like caricature style versions of people and traits of both of them, so it insults both That's in a, a way that It's it, like a Fargo that doesn't pay off. Yeah, right. it, well, it's like a Fargo that has no concern for... Even, in, even the Coen brothers, who are famously cruel to their characters, you still don't feel like they hate their characters. And this guy feels like he is, he is pretty hostile to the, the people in this movie. It, 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 every single line feels like something that no individual would say. Every single beat feels like something that doesn't make any sense. The, the Sam Rockwell character in particular is offensive in, his, in, in the way they treat that guy and Hmm. that he's like explicitly racist for the first half of the movie gets beats up a guy for no reason throws him out of a a window has a
2: a a severe
1: yeah it has a severe injury and is all of a sudden a super cop doesn't make any sense never is punished for (sighs) his racist activity yeah i could go on and on like the the that this movie is getting so much attention is baffling to me Uh like it is it, it is dysfunctional like i I get upset about it, and I get upset <laughs> that so many people like it. So, yeah, for me, the, the worst movie of the year was Three, three Billboards Outside Every, Missouri. Um, it's, it's useful as a learning tool. Like, it might still be worth watching to understand, like, how great performances, because there are great performances in this movie. Woody Harrelson is good. Francine McDermott is good. Sam Rockwell is good. how good acting can still be used to such destructive and harmful ends. And yeah. that, well, maybe
2: that's why people like the movie so much is their performances were good. That's, no, that's, and that's what I, I think. think that's that. what can people are people from,
1: yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. Is that these performances are good and the Woody Harrelson character committing suicide, I don't care about spoilers because this movie's garbage. <laughs> is it, it works, like that scene actually works, but everything around it is, is so mean and and cruel and dysfunctional that it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're good.
0: And um Tyrion's in this? Um, Tyrion Lannister? Oh, uh, Peter Dinklage is in Peter this. Peter Dinklage.
1: And they, they get Peter Dinklage to say, I'm going to go to the little boy's room. Right? Like, yeah. that may
2: be the most offensive moment in the movie.
0: And he's normally oh someone God. who, like, is quick to call out, like, ableists. Right, stuff. I have no so, so I so what he's doing Now we're back
2: to, like, being a little worried about the, the guy in, in Bruges. Right, yeah, I think yeah. we are like that. Yeah. He that the director's showing a little pattern now. Yeah,
1: he, I think he is that he has a hostility towards little people that he can't get around the idea that they're just funny to him, and you know, grow up, man. Like that, that yeah. it, it doesn't fly anymore. That's not that's not how we should be behaving. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, fuck right. that movie. I, mean. I agree. I, I, I hate yeah. it. Um, it's
0: also boring. Yeah, um, yeah lots of problems. All right. Cool, so my, my worst is Valerian. So, Charles, what was your number one film? All right, yeah, so to back, to, back to good movies. Yes. My
2: favorite movie of the year was Dunkirk. Uh, really, okay. I was really blown away by it. Nice. Uh, it was close to a 2001 moment for me seeing it. Wow. I ended up seeing it three times in IMAX, the same theater, just going back to it. Uh, I just never got tired of experiencing it over and over. It was just so beautiful. Like, it was funny. I was, like, getting out of Blade Runner. I'm like, that's the best, the most beautiful movie I've seen since. And I thought back, and, oh, <laughs> so since, a since, ago. Since, <laughs> since a few months ago in Dunkirk, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, I loved all the aerial scenes. The yeah. aerial direction of the dogfights was incredible. You have all these scenes of, like, the ocean and the planes are, like, flying across the screen. And you have, like, scenes where the camera's attached to the plane. And those are incredible. Um, that, that, Nolan did that. yeah he he fucking strapped an IMAX (laughs) camera to a plane so that he could film these dogfights it's it's amazing um I love the storytelling technique that he used in this movie a lot of people complained about his uh predilection for playing with the passage of time but I felt like it was very effective in this one actually uh it's not just to serve as an intentional way to confuse the viewer it kind of does and it um enhances the feeling of disorientation in the movie which helps when you're doing like a war movie because there's a lot of chaos and disorientation in war but it also served to take these three separate stories that are all very important to the dunkirk story um but that all took place in very different um time frames um it let him align those dramatically across the entire film Um, After watching multiple times, I realized, or I noticed, that he was able to combine some of the dramatic moments uh, from all three timelines um, to sync up with each other. But at the same time, he kind of plays with the audience's expectations. Um, Like, one moment I specifically remember is when Tom Hardy's wingman lands his plane in the water. And Tom Hardy looks down and the plane lands and he gives him a thumbs up and he flies away and he's like, all right, you Mm -hmm. know, my, my friend is okay. And then later in the scene, later in the movie, we go back to the wingman landing his plane, right? And he's like, his plane's approaching the water, and you're like, oh, he landed pretty softly. It seems like it's suddenly be fine. And then he lands, and there's this, like, extremely loud yeah. crashing sound. The plane, like, falls apart a little bit. It's so jarring all of a sudden because he played with your expectations. You saw it before. You think it's going to be okay. And suddenly it's horrifying. That's a good And reason. then he's, like, locked in the plane and sinking, right? And there's a lot of tension there. Um, so he played with your expectations with his timeline mechanic. Um, it kind of felt like listening to polyrhythmic music in a way where it's like kind of going in and out of uh, a normal rhythm. It like it's kind of off time, but then it aligns back in time, um, and it just had a very interesting like viewing experience there. That's a really um, good metaphor.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I liked Dunkirk. Yeah, me yeah. Too. I mean, it's not my top five, but I, I did enjoy it. Um, seems like it suits Nolan. Right, like he's a serious filmmaker. Yeah, it's he's the kind of filmmaker. film that
2: Nolan is best suited to make. Yeah. i would say. Yeah, yeah,
1: and you know, big. Like he, he, I, I wanted, I wanted to see. Or what well, my favorite shots in the movie were, other than the, the opening shot, which I thought was gorgeous. Um, but my other favorite shots in that movie are the really high angle bird's eye shots. Of the Absolutely, beach. yeah. I, yeah. Wish, I do
2: wish there were a bit more. Of he those.
1: cuts way too soon on those, yeah. man. Like, it, yeah. it, they're so great and they orient the audience so well, uh, I wanted to see more of that. Um, but that. Yeah, Duncan was really good. Um, I liked Tom Hardy a lot in it. Mm -hmm. I think it is really hard because he acts just with his eyes, essentially just with his eyes, right? Because he's in a cockpit the entire time. You don't see his body, his face most of the time is covered up with the mask thing, and he still gives an emotional performance, an evocative performance, Um, and that just a testament to his talents. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. This movie flew by too. It was like two hours, and it feels like yeah. Quick for no one, very fast. Yeah, yeah I, I
2: loved. I I always have to mention this. I loved the soundtrack of this movie because yeah. he plays this motif of the ticking of mm-hmm. time throughout the entire movie, and it keeps you so on edge. Um, but it also like it sounds very nice. I I like listen to it sometimes. Yeah. Well, and then it eventually and stops. then it just cuts off, yeah. and you realize. How much of the movie had been like drowned in this ticking and then suddenly it's gone and it's such a relief at the end yeah i mean the the closing
1: the closing scene when who's the character that reads the the churchill speech
2: uh Uh, i forget his name i forget the the main character who's
1: been running away the entire movie i mean that they're they're not just having some they're not having churchill right you don't have like a radio of churchill right you don't have somebody pretending to be churchill yeah it's it reminded me of the beginning of lincoln uh, at the beginning of Lincoln, they have a black soldier reading mm. the Gettysburg Address. Mm. Um, similar to that. that. That's cool. That what's actually important here is this guy's experience, and that he yeah. he is receiving these words, and he is delivering them to his compatriots. Like, that was a really effective choice, I thought. I liked that a lot.
0: The film got a little bit of criticism for whitewashing Dunkirk. Um, oh, yeah. Because the British Army had soldiers from India... Um, Of course they did. Yeah. (laughs) And we don't see those people at all. I see. Which I think is a important critique of the film. Yeah, Um, that's fair. I get that. That we shouldn't even things that we assume only white people are there for (laughs) is probably wrong. Probably not true. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting as well was that all the main soldier characters look very much alike yes um so it make it gives you this feeling that they're very interchangeable and maybe expendable even yeah With yeah a, it is very hard very to track that guy boys. on the ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard to keep track, and you kind of start to forget who died, I sure. guess, and that's kind of a commentary.
1: Yeah, which I, yeah, I think it's intentional, and I think yeah. it works. Yeah, um, this is also the, uh, maybe the best sweater movie of all time. So many great sweaters. There's a GQ <laughs> article. About that. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Excellent very, sweaters. Very nice sweaters
2: throughout.
0: Uh, we'll, we should move on. to oh, like okay. Wilson's number one. Okay,
1: my number one was uh, Call Me by Your Name. Um, I. It,
0: not Your Name. Yeah. Not Your Name.
1: <laughs> Call Me By Your Name. I did like Your Name.
0: Different movie. I also like Your Name.
1: Um, this is Call Me By Your Name. Uh, this is the movie uh, that it takes place in 1993 in Italy, um, but features all English-speaking people. Uh, Har- Army Hammer and Timothy Calame, I think is how you say his name. He, is, he was in Lady Bird. He's the, the douchebag in Lady Bird. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a nice guy here. Uh, it's a May-December relationship between a, a man and a, a boy approaching adulthood. Um, it it feels like this perfect romance that just takes place in a like a, a time that's distilled into amber. Like it's just it, there's a line in uh, recarnate Desire" where she talks, or Blanche Dubois talks about uh, certain afternoons just being like a little bit of eternity dropped in your lap. And this entire movie feels like that. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it just takes place this time that you know is going to end, but. You also feel like it's never going to end at the same time. Uh, it is, a, a, it's been built as a gay movie because, I mean, it's a, about a romance between uh, two men. It's actually a bi movie, which I think is important um, that they <laughs> make a point to show romances that these characters have with women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's not just about the. So it is about the fluidity of sexuality and yeah. how it exists on a spectrum. It is also not Moonlight. Um, I think that, that, that is, it has been commonly compared to Moonlight, but Moonlight is not a really a romance. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's, also, it's really a movie about accepting yourself and bullying and things like that. This movie is a, a romance first. It's also a romance that isn't a tragedy. So I feel like it distinguishes itself from Brokeback Mountain, whereas that movie is a tragedy and it it ends in tragedy. This one doesn't necessarily have a happy ending, but it has a bittersweet ending. And I think the ending is one of the most memorable parts of this movie. Uh, The credit sequence is the Timothy Kalmayer character learns that the relationship that really defined and changed his life is never going to be recoverable. he's, He's never going to get it back. The closing sequence is him staring into a fire in their living room while his mom prepares dinner behind him. And the camera just stays on him the entire time. The Su Juan Stevens song that is going to be played at the Oscars, which is kind of extraordinary, um, is playing the entire time. And you see on his face that he is accepting this moment and this reality that he's living in. And also that life's going on around him and that just because you are experiencing this low point and this accepting that the reality that you hope for is never going to be, you still have a life behind you. Your mom is still preparing dinner. Like you're still going to go eat in a little bit. Like you still have these people in your life that care about you and that you can acquire something from the experience that you've had. And I think that's what the title of the movie is about, Call Me By Your Name. Because when you are that close with another person as the two characters in this movie were, you accept some of your them into yourself and give some of yourself to them, so that in a sense you are be, they are becoming you and you are becoming them in a way that isn't going you're not going to be able to return to after that experience um, this uh This movie also features uh, Michael Soberg like uh, in shape of water, and he gives the best monologue that I've heard in years um he, where he t- he talks his son down, who is the the Timothy Calme character from the, his heartbreak and in, a, in a, a way that i've never seen portrayed in movies before the, the it's worth the admission just to see that okay um it's a, a powerful romance that's avoids being sad avoids being tragic avoids being treacly it just feels honest and i can't recommend it strongly enough it's my favorite movie of the year
0: cool you're up Crossman. what'd you like all right, so this might be a weird one, but when um, good, I was just thinking back to like all the films I enjoyed this year, and I think the film that I enjoyed the most was um the the Thor Ragnarok. Really, all right. So I chose okay. that as my first or number one movie. <laughs> that is I didn't, I didn't
1: expect that. Yeah, i have critiqued comic book movies many times.
0: I'm pretty down on Marvel yes. films in general, and I think this one really did it for me. Um, I think in the hands of Taika Waititi, this film is very well cared for i think the mm-hmm. thor was like easily the weakest like plank of, of the, the avengers of the avengers i agree mm-hmm. um i think this film works on its own it doesn't require knowledge of the other films or even the avengers it it, it builds on
1: see it a- Ultron, I think. yeah but not sure. necessarily
0: yeah sure um i think taika like really kind of saves this series um this movie is very funny it's very original um it opens up the thor universe in a way that was like embraces what is weird about the Thor universe and is like yeah let's just make it like a weird (laughs) weird. space like interdimensional movie um brings into the series uh Jeff Goldblum who crushes this (laughs) film so so funny in it plays um the main bad guy I guess in in the the collector yeah he's um no he's the grandmaster the grandmaster del Toro is the the collector collector. um uh, Goldblum does one of his best like Goldblum impressions <laughs> uh, in the film. He's super funny, um, and I think the this story often I think what's the the issue with the Marvel universe is that they're like okay now let's bring in this character and bring in this character and bring in this character and they kind of held back on doing that in this film. They just had like an established set of characters at the beginning of the film, and that's where it's we what we crew. end with. Yeah, and I think it's a nice like microcosm of like a much more complex universe. I am glad that they didn't like keep adding characters to these films because that's often my issue with these films is they just keep like throwing characters in to like introduce other Marvel stuff that's a good into point. the film for the point of just introducing other Marvel stuff into it. Um that was my main issue with um Civil War, where it's like, all right, now it's Spider Man, now it's this guy, their vision and da 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 and they just like keep adding and adding and adding to it in this um It just becomes a mess, and it's only for the people who read comics. And I I think this story is well told. It's super funny, mostly because Jeff Goldblum is funny, but Chris Hemsworth actually has some pretty good comedy chops that he stretches in this film. Yeah. Um, And I think that's the direction that this series should move in. Um, It should be fun and light. And um, Taika Waititi plays actually the funniest character in the film. He plays this, like, golem character. Oh, he voiced... Yeah, <laughs> he voiced it and kind of steals his own film, yeah, uh, which is impressive. Um, he did, um, what we do in the shadows, um, which was super funny. Yeah. That was another, um, story like vampires super played out. He made this comedy vampire film that's super funny. Um, so I think he's good at kind of like reviving things in ways that like you don't expect. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, glad we had a talk. I did not expect you to put this movie at all, yeah. but I'm glad
1: someone did because uh, yeah. there's it, it's a funny movie. It's just well made, right? Like it's just such a, a competently constructed movie. It moves right along. like the, the pacing works. The narrative beats make sense. It's character grounded. It's also about um, colonialism, and I feel like yeah. so many people miss that. Like that they're just talking like, oh, it's this light, funny movie. It's like, yeah, it is that, but it's also about learning how your history which is to say the Asgardian history, which yeah. is to say the American history, is a history of, of violence and mm-hmm. invading places and taking that mm-hmm. what doesn't belong to you,
2: essentially. It was interesting that they kind of had the paintings on the ceiling, like mm-hmm. covering the right. old paintings. Right, like
1: how much more clear can you be?
2: Yeah. <laughs> like It's the text of the film, and yeah. like some people
1: mm-hmm. still missed it. Um, and that I think it's important that uh, YTT was the one that makes that point in the Marvel Universe as, uh, of Maori man himself right yeah his his ancestors were did experience exactly that kind of colonialism
2: it's pretty Uh, false that they put in that message and they also end up well spoilers i guess destroying asgard and leaving it be to make their new world yeah
0: and they make a joke about um slavery as well where all of goldblum's subjects yeah he's like someone refers them to slaves and he's like well but but he's like (laughs) i don't like that word yeah (laughs) yeah you don't like that word yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly he's like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I forget, I forget what she ends up like, saying, and but and it's and like, servants or yeah, yeah. Like yeah, 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 uh, that was a funny moment and like very political moment for the M- MCU, which is normally like very, iconic. very like everybody should like every film, everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, to the point where they just have like a fake Nazi that is Nazis, right. Like Hydra, right? Yeah. yeah which exactly. is like, it's not really Nazis, but it is. It is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: It's also, it was interesting to me when, when this was first announced, because I, I have read the comics. Yeah. This, this really brings together two of the most famous and probably best recent Marvel comic arcs with Thor Ragnarok and Planet Hulk, Yeah, uh, which is not a natural pairing, because Pl- Planet Hulk is pretty much just a straight action shot. You know, it's more, it's more political than a lot of Marvel things are, but it plays off as like this, more like what this movie is, just like this band of people that get together and like hope for the government. Uh, whereas Thor Ragnarok is certainly one of the darkest things that the Marvel comics have ever done. Mm. And that he, uh, the, in that one, like Thor tears his eyes out with his bare hands in order to oh, like, atone for his sins or something more than his dad did, who's dead now. And so like, it gets super dark. And that he is, that, that YTT can take that text and like find what works within the tone that he wants to set, which is closer to Planet Hulk, uh, it is really a, a feat. Of, of directing and tone control and yeah, he should get a lot of credit for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I think it's one of the most fun movies you could see this year. Yeah, like, that's definitely true. It makes <laughs> you like, <laughs> there, yeah. I think it redeems a lot of issues with the um, the Marvel, the Avengers like yeah, I mean, story I, that they've been trying yeah. to tell. I, I like Avengers a lot more than YouTube um, so I don't think it needs redeeming but I still love
1: this movie. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I, I thought it was really good. Um, so yeah, I think that's a strong recommend. For sure, yeah.
2: And it's got Led Zeppelin.
1: Yeah, yeah. That the immigrant song cue is perfect. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so awesome. good, and uh, we haven't mentioned Tessa Thompson, which is a, a tragedy because she sure. steals the she show. She's so good. Great there. Yeah, I want to see more of her and everything. I hope she shows up in something else. She's the Valkyrie, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Even Kate Blanchett's good. Great. Go well, so so what, is, what do you mean,
1: even Kate Blanchett? Of course, yeah. Kate Blanchett is good. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Well,
0: there's just so there. There are a lot of characters. In yeah. The film. Yeah. I also like the kind of meta commentary on, um, the Thor stories. At the beginning, he he finds Loki, and like yeah. Matt Damon is <laughs> <Yes>. playing, <Yeah. laughs> and, uh, one of them, and it, it's, yeah, and and Matt is Liam's playing Hems- playing Loki, yeah, I think, and Sam Neill is his dad, I think. Yeah, and isn't that. it Liam Hemsworth or yes, one yeah, of the other yeah, one of the Hemsworth brothers? Yeah. yeah, and they're playing a story from one of the earlier. Yeah, some B list Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're they're playing like the story of the first. Thor movie Something essentially like that. in yeah. like a play on NASCAR. Yeah. It's super funny. Yeah. Yeah. The first
1: Thor movie is unfairly maligned. It's not great, but I think it's better than people remember it. Um, but yeah, you're right. That moment was 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 good. That worked. Um, and apparently, that's what Matt Damon's career is now. Like he just shows up in things uncredited and just like comedy as so. a surprise. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what he did. And um, he's been doing it since uh, what was the Euro trip? Yeah, he did it in that. He did it in the. Uh, Why am I space Interstellar? Um, he did it. Yeah. He did it here. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess that's, well, that one wasn't that comedic. But no, but it was still a surprise. It's like, hey, it's, yeah. it's there's
0: Yeah, they didn't announce it. That. Yeah, that's kind of. Um,
1: a... But in any event, there's what not quite eighteen movies, seventeen movies, um, fifteen of which you should all go watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I think, think there that's... are fewer that you should watch. But okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> um, but uh, I think those are all good lists. Like, I don't think there's anything here that I've disagreed on out of the stuff that I've seen. So, yeah, I like how two, 2017 plays out. I feel like there's a point in, like... Did we have no
2: overlap except for the bad movie?
1: Yeah, I think That's you're right. That's impressive. Yes, it is. And they, they were all, like, pretty solid picks. So, like, there wasn't one... Like, it was a good year, year for movies. Years. It was a great year. I thought it was really good.
0: I was one. looking through all the films that came out, and there were a lot of great films. Yeah,
1: trimming to five was very challenging. I think it would be hard to trim tw- to 20, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there are just so many great movies that came out this year. I feel like you get to, like, March and April, and you're like, oh, man, maybe this year isn't that great. And then, like, November comes around. It's like, oh, wait, here's 25 <clears throat> movies that I left this year.
0: Yeah, I, I had a few, like, that I was close on and just, like, yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, I, I mean, we could talk about our honorable mentions, but this episode is already running a little long. Yeah. Um, so, I'll, I'll we, we can take them down and put them in the comments or something. Sure. Um. But, in any event, I think we we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming next yeah. week. Uh, So this will be our first movie in our traditional format of 2018, and I want to start with a classic. Uh, We're going to do Citizen Kane.
2: All right. Um, Here's the Citizen Kane of movies. Thank you. There
1: you go. Now we don't need to make that joke later on. (laughs) We got it. Uh, So this will be what many consider the most important movie of all time. Um, So join us next week for Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. Thanks for listening.